The following has been recorded at Cairn University. Any reproduction of this recording without the express permission of the university is prohibited. Good morning, everyone. It is such a pleasure to be with you today, and uh, it is a delight to bring the Word of God to you. Uh, loved ones, please take your Bibles and open them to Hebrews chapter 10. My uh, text is going to be Hebrews 10, 23. And while you're turning there, let me just uh, say I, I am so privileged to be here twice a week. Being with you all is, is just the bright spot of my week. And this week, I get to be here three times, so that, that's even better. And uh, it is uh, such a pleasure to serve with you and uh, to uh, study with you various topics this morning, I want us to look at this one verse, Hebrews 10.23. I'll just read it to you. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And I, I want to tell you that I misread this verse for years. Um, and I want to confess to you why that happened. You're probably saying, Rayleigh, that's one of the easy verses. How could you? Uh, but it, it does happen that we misread these verses. And I did, but something happened in my life a number of years ago that opened me up to read it the way it was intended to come across. So I want to tell you that story. Uh, here's how I read the verse originally. Um, I read it like, let's hold fast to the doctrines about Jesus Christ. And, you know, being a good seminary student, I would go back to the context of Hebrews and, and maybe just turn there with me and look at some of these amazing things about Jesus Christ long ago. And in many, uh, in many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by His Son, whom He appointed heir of all things, through whom also He created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of His nature, and He upholds the universe by the word of His power. And making purification for sins, He sat down at the right hand of God. Uh, so we look at Hebrews and it opens with the amazing supremacy and exclusivity of Jesus Christ. He is the one who created the universe. He upholds it with the word of his power. Hebrews, if you turn over the page just to a couple of examples of what it says about Jesus Christ, uh, Hebrews 3, 6, it says that Jesus in that position of supremacy, is greater than Moses. He is greater than Moses because Moses was a servant in God's house, but Jesus is a son over God's house. Christ is faithful over God's house as a son, and we are his house in, if we indeed hold fast our confidence and our boasting and our hope. So there is this supremacy of Christ in relation to the law. Look at chapter 4. Uh, verse 14, the supremacy of Christ as a high priest. Uh, since, since then, we have a great high priest 
who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. Uh, And so this Jesus, this high priest, has brought us into God's rest, his Sabbath rest. And so this this picture of Christ doctrinally in Hebrews just gets bigger and bigger. It, it starts with supremacy and, and exalts Christ over the law, even exalts Jesus over the Sabbath itself. Go to chapter 6 and look at another moment. Uh, verse 19, we have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain, where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf, having become a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. And so now we've got this this doctrine here in Hebrews that Jesus, as the high priest, has entered into the holy place. He has entered behind the curtain in the very presence of the Father, bringing his own blood as the sacrifice. If you look over the page again at chapter 7, look at uh, verse 23. Uh, The former priests were many in number because they were prevented by death from continuing in office, but he holds his priesthood permanently because he continues forever. Consequently, He is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. Doctrines about Jesus Christ. Some of the most powerful teaching in the scripture. And and so we, we go back to chapter 10, verse 23, and the way I read this verse was, commit yourself to these doctrines when even though this is an impossible message to get across today. The, the people in the first century, the Jewish people to whom this letter was written, had to preach this message of a supreme, exclusive Jesus. He alone can save us. They had to preach this message to a polytheistic Roman world that believed there were many ways to God. It's, just, it's exactly the same kind of world that we live in today, And so I looked at uh, Hebrews 10.23, hold fast to the confession of our hope, preach the exclusive supreme Jesus in an age that doesn't believe that anything of the kind even exists. Well, I was not wrong. And, you you know, reviewing these, these doctrines... You may be saying, it, yeah, we've, we've heard that sermon before, actually, here. We love that sermon here. Great job. Come back soon. Uh, but uh, even though I was not wrong, I was also not right about this verse. Let me show you why. Something happened to me uh, a number of years ago. In one of the churches that I was uh, involved with, I was restarting this church after it had cratered. Churches do this from time to time. And um, this one, we discovered, had cratered for lots of reasons, including uh, cover-ups of sexual abuse and financial fraud. And uh, so I went into this work with many friends, but the more we uncovered about what had actually happened in this church, the worse the picture got, and the more I found myself confronting crime, just straight-up crime and wickedness. 
And, uh, you know, you might think, boy, what a wonderful thing to come in and, and be the guy who confronts all this w- wickedness, does justice, the, the pastor on the white horse, and, and uh, it's great. It is not great. Uh, when you do this, you will lose friends. And uh, I'll just confess to you, I lost all of them. All of them. My wife and I, in, in the course of this ministry and in, in uncovering these things, we were just, we were laid open because we, we just lost friend after friend after friend uh, in, the, in the stresses of confronting these things. And so I went through those experiences and I came back to this verse and uh, I was preaching on it uh, in, in another context and so it had been uh, some time since I'd studied it. I came back to this verse having gone through all of these experiences and it read very differently to me after those experiences. And I want to show you uh, kind of what happened there. Uh, you know, we all have inner lives. We, we have these emotions and our emotional outlook and, and we kind of wonder about our inner life sometimes. Some people say they have an inner child and they would like to, to get in touch with their inner child and contact that person somehow. That's the person who has, has gone through hard things. We, we wish we could talk to ourselves. Well, I have an inner Greek student. Uh, I'm sure you can relate. Uh, <laughs> my inner Greek student is, is very insecure. Uh, he doesn't like to express himself because it was a traumatic experience studying Greek and so he's down there, and I was, um, I was reading this verse, preparing to teach it in another context after all of these experiences, and, and my inner Greek student woke up because he takes very long naps, like years. And um, he woke up, and he said, maybe, maybe in verse 23, hold fast, is, isn't that like a... A plural verb? And isn't the object of hold fast the word confession? I'm just thinking out loud here. And isn't the word confession modified by an adjective unwavering? And he said, I'm, I'm just throwing this out there. I, and, and then he went back to sleep. So I looked at it, and I had to admit, he was absolutely right. Hold fast is a first-person plural verb. And what's interesting to me about this, this is not a command like, you all hold fast to the confession of our faith while I preach to you or write you letters. It's not that way. Let us all together hold fast. This is a collective thing. We all are being like an anchor. Uh, this word is, and another word, a similar uh, word in Hebrews is, is used to, to describe holding fast like a, an anchor holds a ship fast. It doesn't let the ship drift off. It restrains the ship. So we are all doing this together, and the object of, of this holding fast, the thing that we are restraining or holding in place is 
the confession. And what bothered me about that word is that there was no way around it. Confession was a public act. This is an act of standing in public, sometimes formally in front of judges and tribunals and stuff. And uh, so we confess publicly before the world something. So that in itself makes this confession a collective act, a community act, and, uh, and that confession is, is to be held fast without wavering, almost literally unbowed. You don't, you don't bow down to anything, you don't submit to anything, you don't yield, you don't bend. The community altogether holds fast unwaveringly the confession. So here's what bothered me about that verse, and it, it, I really mean it did bother me. It was a social challenge to me. I first read it as a doctrinal challenge to say, confess these points before a world that does not believe them. But this now was a second challenge. It was a social challenge. And for me at that moment, I what I heard this saying was, confess your hope in Christ with all of those people who hurt you. That's what I heard. Now, how exactly am I going to do that? When I'm alienated from the church and the community, how am I going to confess this when I don't feel the kinship that I ought to feel according to this verse. In fact, I feel the opposite. I want to, to start praying to the Lord and explaining to Him, Lord, your church is, is full of jerks. They, they, just, they don't treat people well. This is awful. I don't want to be part of this community. I am alienated from this community. But what started to happen to me as this issue opened up inside of me, is that the whole context of Hebrews came back to me again. Go back to chapter 3, verse 6. Jesus is indeed superior, greater, superior to and greater than Moses. He is over God's house as a son. And then I, I look at this. We are his house. So the superiority of Jesus, which I believe, is over almost a new nation, a new community of people. Chapter 4, um, this high priest, Jesus, passed through the heavens to bring us all into the Sabbath rest of God, just as Joshua brought the nation of Israel into the Sabbath rest of the land. Chapter 6. Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf behind the inner curtain to make atonement for our sins. He's done all of that, and um, he has done that again for us as a nation, uh, his new people, and for all generations. Going all the way back to Abraham, he is doing this thing because God swore an oath to Abraham, remember? And so it's, it's not just the people I know that I am to make confession with and in community with, it's all generations going back. And then, you know, chapter 7 again, 
Um, the, it's this idea that Jesus always lives to make intercession for us. For every generation of Christians, Jesus is interceding. So there was no way out. Uh, when I uh, got back to uh, Hebrews 10.23, this confession is a confession that I am to hold fast to in community with other Christians. Now, you may be thinking today, and I'm preaching this sermon actually on the assumption that you are thinking today, the church of Jesus Christ in America is so messed up. There are just so many problems. And I just don't know how I fit into that. I don't know how I identify with that without losing my integrity. Sometimes it's that bad. So if you're there, then uh, you're understanding the the importance of of, uh, Hebrews 10.23 exactly correctly. Our community needs to hold fast this confession. There was a third challenge that hit me because uh, my inner Greek student woke back up and he said, you know, I'm just throwing this out there that the confession is not purely doctrinal. The confession is the confession of our hope. So, again, just Thinking out loud here, maybe that word hope has more than intellectual content. Doesn't it have emotional content as well? Because if it's just simple intellectual expectation, surely that doesn't really match the word hope. There's got to be some joy in that expectation. Just throwing that out there, and then he went back to sleep and left me to puzzle over this. So I went back to chapter 3, and I noticed something about the context of Hebrews again, because now we, we have not just a doctrinal challenge, we have not just a social challenge in connection with other Christians, now we have an emotional challenge. Where does the emotional energy come from to do this? How do you uphold an impossible message with an impossible community? How do you uphold that with joy when you don't feel it? Well, here we are, chapter 3, verse 6 again. Christ is over God's house as a son, and we are his house if indeed we hold fast our confidence and our boasting in our hope. Confidence, boasting, those are emotion words. Confidence is that sense, we've got this. We know what to do. Things are going to go well. Boasting is even more than that. It's, we're going to, we don't not only have this, we are going to be victorious in this. We are going to conquer uh, and so there, there are emotions here connected with this word hope that have to do with confidence and boasting. Look at chapter 4. This is very rich. It helped me. 
Since then, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, verse 14 of chapter 4. Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. All of a sudden, the book of Hebrews started to open up for me in a whole new way on this third challenge. The third challenge of the emotional challenge of holding this confession. And I realized there's confidence and intimacy with God associated with this hope. The intimacy is that Jesus, the human being, understands what we're going through. He understands betrayal. He understands alienation. He understands isolation. He understands all of these things. He understands all of our temptations in every way. And so when we come to him, we're coming to one with understanding of who we are. He is intimate with us. So we can have confidence in that. Look at chapter 6 once again. Back up to verse 17. This was where the book of Hebrews started to open up for me even more on this issue. Talking about the oath that we mentioned a moment ago that God swore to Abraham. So, verse 17 of chapter 6, when God desired to show more convincingly to the heirs of the promise, the unchangeable character of his purpose, he guaranteed it with an oath. Do you realize what that's saying? It is saying that God is concerned that we believe him deeply. And he's so concerned about that that he wants to persuade us. He wants to convince us and he, he guaranteed it with an oath in order to advance that. And why does he do this? So that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope set before us. You see what that's saying? God guaranteed to Abraham with an oath that Jesus would be our high priest. And he did that all those generations ago to speak to us and to persuade us to have strong encouragement so that this can be an anchor for our soul, restraining us from being blown about by all the waves and the storms. So again, Hebrews is, is starting to look like Hebrews is actually aimed at our emotions, not just our minds. It's starting to look like the book of Hebrews is counseling us. That amazed me. And then chapter 7, I was struck by this, uh, verse 24, he holds his priesthood permanently because he continues forever. Consequently, he is able to save, how much? To the uttermost. Every last 
inch down to the last millimeter to the finish line, he is able to carry us completely to the uttermost to salvation. Why? Because he lives forever and he always intercedes for us. That's why. Again, bolstering our confidence emotionally that God is for us, not against us. So I came back to Hebrews 10.23 and I looked at this verse. Let us, all together as a community, hold fast the public confession of our hope. The whole community sharing an emotion the emotion of hope and expectation and confidence in the goodness of God. Now the question is how? When I looked at this verse from that point of view and the whole context of Hebrews is counseling me, be of good courage, be, have strong encouragement, be confident, boast in this hope. When, when the whole book of Hebrews is saying that, and I'm sitting there laid open, feeling abandoned, grieving, lost opportunities, lost friends, lost relationships, some of them of long standing. And I'm looking at all of that and I'm saying, Lord, I'm just not feeling it. What do you do? Well, the last thing that fell into place for me in this verse, after having misread it for so long and then having it opened up to me by my inner Greek student, was this last phrase, which is actually the reason why we should hold fast our confession together without wavering. Here's the reason. For he who promised is faithful. Friends, not necessarily faithful. Community, not necessarily faithful. Circumstances, not good. Filled with difficulty. Even myself, in my emotions, not necessarily faithful. Not feeling it. But the reason we should confess our hope is that he who promised, going all the way back to Abraham, he who promised is faithful. He's the reason we together can hold that hope because he is faithful. And so I'm here to confess to you, he is. Against betrayal, against difficulty, against suffering, against loss, against feelings of alienation and wondering where do I fit in all of this because it doesn't feel like I fit anywhere. In all of that, he is faithful. And I'm here to confess to you that I have seen this. His faithfulness brought me here to you. His faithfulness has, uh, has protected my family. His faithfulness has restored my emotions and my soul. His faithfulness have, has done all of these things. And uh, I would say to you, it's possible that you're misreading your Bible, like I did. It's possible that when you open it up, you find fresh duties that you have not done, 
fresh evidence that you are not a committed enough Christian and you close your Bible feeling that there's a whole new list of things that you have failed to do. If you're misreading your Bible this way, like I did, I would encourage you, go to the book of Hebrews and start reading all the emotion words and start seeing how the book of Hebrews orients everything back to the one who is faithful, who promised so long ago. And when you do that, the paragraph, verses 19 to 25 of chapter 10, makes a whole lot of sense. Here it is. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is through his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, but not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more, as you see the day drawing near. It is such an encouragement to me to remember the goodness of God here with you today. We have done this right here and right now. So if, if you are wavering, alienated, doubtful, then this scripture is speaking to you and saying, good Christian, have good courage, hold hands with the person next to you, get with those who are also struggling, and make your confession. God is good, His goodness is running after me, and He who promised is faithful. Let me pray for you. Lord Jesus, we lift up your name as supreme because of the truth of your word, because of the power of your grace that has brought us together, and because of your goodness to us. We ask you to go with us from this place, empower us, strengthen us, encourage us, and we will give you all the glory because you are our hope. And all God's people said in Jesus' name, amen.